0: So I'll, just, I'll just say a prayer for Deborah and also Travis is going to be bringing the word. So Lord, we, we just thank you. Uh, thank you for Deborah, Thank you for just amazing things that you're doing in her life. And Lord, we're excited to, to hear, Lord, from just the well that she's been digging. And also, Lord, bless Travis as he brings the word. And Lord, thank you for, for this amazing privilege. We, we have to be gathered together in your name, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Thank you. My alarm went off this morning and reminded me that I was a 10-minute speaker because I forgot. <laughs> but the word says to be in season and out of season. And I almost called up and said, oh, I'm going to bail. But I don't usually do I never do that. And I figure, Lord, there's always something that you're doing in my life that I can share about and I really believe that the Lord wants to restore hope. And so he wants to restore my hope. And one of the things I didn't realize is I didn't realize that I was afraid to hope. I'm not specifically, um, you know, there's, you hope and when you have hope, you dream about the things you're hoping for. And so I was at a meeting and the scripture, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The things that you don't see. And it just, oh my gosh, it like knocked me in the head. And I realized, how am I going to have faith when I'm afraid to hope? I have to have something that I'm hoping for, and what I began to realize the Lord's had been giving me dreams, giving me confirmations to things, but I was afraid to believe what He was telling me because I had so much hope deferred and i and so he took me back to my childhood when I guess i would and so I'm wondering, Lord, why do you keep, last time I spoke, it was something I took me back to my childhood. So I come to the conclusion, either I have a lot of time on my hands and my brain is empty and he can speak, or I don't know for whatever reason, but he took me back to a circumstance in my childhood when I was about six or seven years old. And here's the crazy thing. I don't really have a lot of memories of things. But the things that I do remember, I know exactly where I was at when I had the memory. And I'm walking on a sidewalk that had cracks in it. You know, back in the day, you know, you didn't step on the cracks because it broke your mother's back. <laughs> and I'm, I'm jumping the cracks, okay? But I also, my mind, at a six or seven year old, still functions the same way in my 70s <laughs> as it did then it wanders off and now i'm having a dialogue with myself and i'm making a decision and here's where my thoughts went and i still remember it well if i am if i'm hoping for something i never get it so i won't hope for it i'll pretend i don't want it and then i'll get it because that Lie began to cycle in my life and I figured that was my logical conclusion how to get what I want how to be manipulative within my own heart which you know we have desires that we want the Lord to fulfill and the Lord took me back and that's when I stopped hoping is there something in your early early childhood that, and here's the thing Did I have a lot of disappointment as a six- or seven-year-old? No. I probably wanted some toys that I didn't get. You know, it wasn't like I had these really bad things that happened to me. That was not true. But there was a repeated cycle as a child that I started to come to a conclusion that actually fed hopelessness for the rest of my life. And never realized it till now. And so, fear is not my friend. It's not. It's not something that all of a sudden, you know, fear grips me and I just can't do something. No, that's never been my friend. But hopelessness? Hopelessness has been a friend of mine. And, I've, and so, as the Lord is, there's a lot of unknown. And as the Lord is wanting to take me somewhere now, he's wanting to plant some things in me, and he is doing it. But my block is I'm afraid to hope for it. And so I said, well, Lord, so half knowing half the battle is, knowing something is half the battle. So the first revelation was, the Lord showed me was, You're afraid to hope. So I do have fear. It's just not the same kind of fear that some other people have, but I was afraid to hope. The Lord wants to stop me. He wants to say, Deborah, stop being afraid to hope. I have a future for you. I want you to begin to dream again. I'm not a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. I have dreams. But I don't take those dreams and then ponder and dream about them. And and I feel like he's saying to me, I want you to dream again. I want you to dream of the things that I'm, I'm trying to plant these seeds in you, but your fear and hopelessness is not allowing them to take root. And so I want to pray for us that, and and not am I praying for you, because I'm still not there. I still need to get this thing uprooted. That the Lord would begin to pour out on us the seeds, and he has been pouring out seeds and vision. And he's saying, child, I want you to hope again. So, Father, I ask that I know for me you want to uproot hopelessness because you really want me to hope in you again. And so, Father, anywhere among us where it's not even in a big lane. It might just be in one lane that you're where he wants you to have hope. It's not everything in your life, but there's there's a future for you. And father, I have a future. So father, I ask I just cut off all fear off you from the past. I repent, father, as a child that I made a decision as a child and It was not what you had for me. And Father, forgive me for coming into agreement with hopelessness. And today, I break off myself and off your children, this agreement with hopelessness. And I ask that you release the faith, which is the substance of things hoped for, that you will begin those dynamics that we will hope again so that you can release the faith for that hope. So, Father, give to us what we cannot do for ourselves, but you are able to do far and above all that we can think, ask, or imagine. In Jesus' name.
0: That's great. If you're not sure, I'm going to tell you that was good. That's important. That's very important. You know, God spoke to, to Abraham, he said, he, he brought him outside and he said, I want you to look to the north, south, east, and west. And as far as your eye can see, I will give you the land. In God, we can only take land to the degree that we can see it. And hopelessness steals vision. Hopelessness brings a loss of vision. And the Lord definitely wants to restore that. And, and it is, the, 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 you know, the promises that God has given us. Check this out. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For all those that come to God must believe that He is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When we are in hopelessness, we're telling God that he's not going to, we, we're telling you, Lord, that we're not going to, you're not going to reward us. We can't trust you. God told Abraham, he said, I am your great reward. That's That's amazing. And I know the Lord really does want to break hopelessness off of people. He wants to res- restore. You know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the in Acts 2, right after Jesus had ascended, you know, they had to wait until Jerusalem. But one of the things that when Peter got up to preach after the Holy Spirit was poured out, everybody's got tongues of fire and they're and they're praying in tongues, and people are coming from all over and they're hearing them speak in the languages that They didn't know, naturally, but the people from far away who were visiting Jerusalem, uh, they could hear people speaking in the language where they came from, and they were like, what is going on? How is this possible? And Peter got up, and he began to quote Joel 2. He began to say, this is what this is. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And he gives a couple things there. You know, he says, he talks about his young men. He's pouring out his spirit on young men and young women. In that day, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he says, one thing that he says is, your old men will dream dreams. Well, we we look at that and we think, yeah, well, they're old. They're going to they're be dreaming all the time. You know, they're sleeping, you know, a lot, you know. You know, I mean, that is true. Older folks sleep more. I, I know that. I, I, you know, I, that is true some. I mean, it's not always true, but uh, I know my dad takes naps every day. But that is not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is when the spirit comes, people who, are at, who feel like they're at the end of the line and there's nothing to look forward to, they're going to dream again. And God's spirit wants to come and touch his people in such a way that we can dream again. He, he, the Lord was saying that even the old people who feel like they're at the end of the line, they're going to start, begin to see a, a purpose that God has for them. They're going to dream again. God's got a purpose for me. And the Lord's if, the, if that was true then, then it's true 2,000 years later. We are closer to the end than never before. I personally, this is just, I could be wrong, but I personally believe that I will be a grumpy, no, I'm just kidding, I will be a old man, uh, I won't be grumpy, I will be full of the spirit and joy and happiness and a, and a joy to be around, old man that will see the return of the Lord. I believe I will see the return of the Lord. Now I may not, maybe if my kids will, but I believe I will. And uh, I've had, I had an encounter where I, I saw my, I- it was the weirdest thing, but I had this vision and I saw myself preaching it and I was 75 years old and it just gave me, it was like, I had never ever even had a vision for that age at all until I had that dream or that vision. And, uh, it was like, wow, man, I was going at it at 75 and it was awesome. It was like it gave me like vision for the future, and and so anyway, the Lord wants to restore hope, and that is so timely. Faith, Jesus promises, if you seek, ye shall find. If you knock, well, actually, it says in the Greek, if you will continually seek, you will find. If you continually knock, the door will be open. If you continually ask, you will receive. We got to keep going after things, and and be able to dream again, be able to believe God for things again. Uh, vision is the most important thing we have as Christians. And part of that vision is, because that's what Abraham, he had to see. We, had, we have to be able to see. One of the visions that I have that stirs me is I want encounters with Jesus. I see people in the Bible having literal visitations from the Lord. And I know people who, who have had those. And I'm like, I want that. I've been crying out for that since 1995. Now I've had the Lord appear to me in dreams, and that is awesome, amazing. I've had that happen about five times where the Lord appeared to me in dreams. That's incredible, but I want the real deal. Like I mean, that is real. I mean, that is real. But I want to get caught up like the Apostle Paul did. Well, you know what that is? It's a vision. It's a it's a dream. It's a thing that I can pursue after, and it keeps a burning going on inside of me. That it puts a, yeah, it's a fire. It, it allows me to keep pursuing. And, uh, and I'm going to keep pursuing. And so, but all of us need to have those visions. Some people, hey, I, I have a, I, I, know, I know a preacher. He had a vision for, pre, for, for raising the dead. And, you know, people, you know, he, I don't know how many people he prayed for that were dead before they, but he, he's actually had a couple of resurrections now where he's prayed for people that were physically dead and they came back to life. Let, if it's in the Bible, God wants you to go after it. Let the Lord stir up those desires in him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let hunger arise for greater exploits. If it's in the Bible, God wants you to do it. Jesus said, the works I do, ye shall do, and even greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. He wants you to have, incre- you, not me, you. I He wants me too, but I'm telling you, <laughs> he wants you to do amazing things. Every single one of you has access to the same Holy Spirit that every other Christian has. Nothing is impossible with God in you. You know God can't do stuff without you? Do you realize that? Now, he could have, but when he created us, he, in his own heart, because it was his desire, decided that the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. And he gave man authority over the earth. That was his desire. And so... Him fulfilling his desire was him limiting his hand to only move to the degree that he is in uh, agreement with a human. God needs humans because he set it up that way. That's why Jesus tells us to pray. Why would we pray at all if God's will just happens? It doesn't. God's will does not happen without someone coming in agreement and releasing it into the earth. That's why Jesus had to be a man. That's why he said at the end, once it was finished and he resurrected, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me because he was the son of man and he was God. He's got authority in heaven and he's got authority on earth. And now we have been sent in the same way because we've now been born again from above and we're also born from the earth. So now we have authority in heaven and authority on earth when we're born again, and God needs that because he set it up that way, which means you have a purpose and a destiny to release God in the earth, and only you can do what God has created you to do. God is so huge, so big, so (laughs) beyond our comprehension that it will take all of us corporately to release the Lord's full heart in the earth. And it is time that the body of Christ begins to grow up, come up, and to become what they're called to be. Because the Lord's coming back for a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. And we're going to have to be walking in everything that God's called us to do. And so all the hindrances and all the things that are stopping us, it's time to deal with that. It's time to get cleaned up. I've been seeking the Lord for Really hard for the last year and a half, but really two years. Just saying, Lord, shine Your light on me. Search me, and sh- anything that's hindering You, reveal it to me, so we can, so You can deal with it. Because I can't get, have, I can't have the Lord deal with stuff in my life if I don't see it. As far as Abraham could see, He would give him the land. So I have to be able to see. So I've been asking for that. And it's amazing because when you start asking God prayers like that, Lord, show me if there's stuff that needs to get out of my life. It's like, dang, Lord, that's a lot. (laughs) Uh, But that's good. I used to get discouraged when the Lord would show me stuff negative in my life. He used to discourage me. Then I read something one day that just, well, I had read it numerous times, but it just went off inside of me. Um, I, I never saw this before. And uh, it, it's in, uh, I'm turning over to John chapter three, um, just because well, if I try to quote it, I'll mess it up. I used to feel really bad. You know, you start seeing junk in your heart. Like, I remember, you know, different times in my life, you know, like there was this one guy I used to get really jealous around because he was this young whippersnapper preacher. And I couldn't understand why I was feeling such jealousy. But I was. And I'm like, I knew that wasn't right. That ain't the heart of God. So I started praying for the guy. and And I prayed for me, too. I was like, Lord, help me deal with this. I don't know where this is coming from. It actually was a spirit because I noticed that every time I would get around other people that would talk about this guy, they would all have that same jealousy on them. And so there was something really attacking that guy. But I started praying for him. And I prayed for him so many, so often. Every time I'd feel it, I'd just really go to town praying for this guy to the point that I, I no longer was jealous for him because that spirit, it was scared to make me feel jealousy for that guy because he knew prayers would start going towards that guy. See, we got to do, we got to get like that. But you know, sometimes you'll see stuff. Selfish ambition was was one of my big ones. I was, when I was young, in the Lord, in my twenties. I didn't want to be, but I had so much selfish ambition. I wanted to be the man. I would never tell you that, but that's what I wanted. I really did. I wanted to be the man, but the only time you see that in scripture is when the prophet came to David and said, you're the man, (laughs) and that wasn't good, (laughs) that wasn't good. So I used to get really discouraged when I would begin, the Lord would begin dealing with things in my heart. I would begin to see things because I felt just horrible because I don't want to be that way. I want to be the way God wants me to be. But then I read this and, and the Lord highlighted this to me. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes into the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. I read that one day, or I can't remember if I read it or the Lord just brought it to my attention, but he spoke to me about it. And he said, if you were in darkness, you wouldn't see what you're seeing right now. You think people that live in darkness go around trying to figure out what's wrong with them because they see all this gook in their lives. They don't care and they don't see it. So the Lord was encouraging me and he was telling me, the reason you're seeing this is because you keep coming into the light. Because if you weren't in the light, you couldn't see this. And it became such an encouragement. It's like now when I see junk, I'm like, yeah, I'm on the right path. If If you're not occasionally seeing some stuff, You might want to check, am I coming to the light? Because when you come into the light, you're going to see some stuff. And then you can take it to Papa and say, Papa, this ain't like your son. Help me. I want to deal with this. I want to get this out of my life. So praise the Lord. Lord, get it out of our life. Get everything out of our life, Lord, that's hindering you and walking with you and being like you. This was not my message. Deborah brought this out of me. That was just the appetizer. This is a two-for-one. Actually, a three-for-one. Deborah brought the first part. That was Deborah's was the appetizer then. That was just the salad. Now, hopefully, this will be some steak. If you weren't here Friday night, you missed it. (laughs) It was amazing. It, I'm telling you, those watch nights are becoming my favorite time of the month. They're just, they've been awesome. And I uh, appreciate uh, the Morgan family and and Greg and Margaret and everyone that was a part of that in the, in the worship aspect. Andrew, um, it was uh, its really remarkable. But one of the things, I, when I finally woke up Saturday... Uh I had to go write down what the Lord spoke because there came such prophetic revelation that it was just it was powerful. And what's interesting is what the Lord was speaking that night, He kept speaking because I woke up the next day and my sister had sent me a message from Bill Johnson that was part of what we were seeing and talking about and praying. And then I wake up this morning and I started reading in my where I was in the Bible and it was exactly about the same thing. And I'm like, wow, because that was just where I happened to fall. You know, I, I go, right now I'm reading, uh, I read systematically. I'll, I'll, you know, so I'm at a sp- specific spot that I start back with tomorrow where I left off yesterday. Does that make sense? So it just happened to be about that. But I just want to kind of recap. I... Um, there was there is a spirit of revelation that falls on those meetings and revelation will come it'll get sung it'll get prayed it'll get it'll just get released i saw things that i'm going to i'm going to be chewing on for a long time but this is not my message but i just want to cr- encourage you it's so good i can't not say this one of the things i saw when i was when i just kind of just saw it and when i saw it it just blew my mind um because i saw it now it may not mean this as much to you and that's the way revelation is sometimes when you get it and the light bulb goes on you know it's just amazing but sometimes other people's you know you share it with people and they're like yeah uh-huh okay like no really yeah i hear you they didn't the light bulb didn't go off yet you know, well, the light bulb went off on me, and I saw this as a word for our church and for our leadership and for our team and our church. And y'all know the story in Second Kings, let's see, it was Second Kings, I wrote it down. Uh, four, one through six, where um, I can't even remember if it was Elijah I think it was Elisha. The widow came to him and basically her husband has died, she owed lots of money, she had two kids. And she was about to, their whole family was about to be sold to, into slavery to pay for their debt. And she comes to the prophet, crying out for help. He says, What do you have? She's like, I have nothing left but one jar of oil. And he says, Okay, go and gather lots of vessels and bring them into the house. And don't just gather a few, gather a lot. Go ask your neighbors gather as many vessels as you can, and pour the oil into each vessel. And he said, and he started to prophesy, the oil will not run dry until all the vessels are full. I saw this during worship, while we were worshiping Friday night, and it was a word over this house. As long as this house would give themselves to filling up the vessels, As long as we continued to fill the vessels of the Lord up, the oil over this house would never run dry. We have been called to be an equipping church that equips God's people, and not just equip them, but release them into their purpose. And as long as we will give ourselves to this, the Lord says the oil will never run dry. And the Lord and I, and I said this, I prophesied this that night. The day that we stop filling the vessels is the day that the oil will run dry in this church. It was like a promise and a warning all at the same time. If you will continue to give yourself to see my people raised up, equipped, trained, and released, then the anointing on this house will never dry. But the day you you deviate from that and you start making it about something else and not filling up God's people, not letting the attention to be on the people, and start using it for something else, it would the the oil, the anointing would run dry. Can y'all hear that? So that was a fantastic promise that I I took, and I am the Lord has really been highlighting to me that this is a year of quipping and training like never before, and we're going to be doing a lot of that um, this year. So. For what's coming, everybody has to be functioning in what they're called to do, they have to be hearing God's voice, to know God's word, functioning in, in their priestly role in Christ, ministering to the world because the world is in desperate need of what we got, and it's going to become more and more apparent as the time grows near. Um, you know, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for behold, deep darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people. But his glory shall appear on you and shall be in you, and the nations shall stream to your light. We're there. It may still get darker, probably it is. It's going to get a little darker, but we're at the time of deep darkness covering the earth. But it's also time that we're going to see the greatest outpouring of God's glory that the earth has ever seen. This is the for a Christian who's abiding in Jesus. This will be the best time of your life. For the world and for Christians who really aren't abiding in the Lord, who aren't close to him, this will be the worst time of your life. This is going to be the best of times and the worst of times, all at the same time. For the wor- for the world, for Egypt, there will be darkness. For Goshen, there will be light, and it's going to be awesome. So we've got to do our job to get into His presence and to begin to see His glory released. And that kind of leads me into my message. Uh, what I what else I saw, I, I was I started seeing this and singing it, but it was pretty amazing because. Uh, other people had gotten up and shared this, and uh, if you want to have a finger on uh, Psalms 24, I think I don't remember who did it first. I know Josh had a portion of that, and uh, what was that lady, Josh, that was that was sitting in the middle? That she comes, Debbie. She had she brought up and brought it forward. I had been I had sung it. Um, didn't realize that it was Psalms 24 until. After the fact, but I had but I knew it was a psalm. I just couldn't remember where it was at but um and so we were i we were praying, prophesying, and uh this was what the Lord was kind of speaking and I just want to give you a quick overview of what that was and explain it a little bit, tell you what Bill Johnson preached. <laughs> that was sent to me and how it applied to this because it was so good. It was so right on with this. And then what I read this morning and then how that, and I'm going to attempt to do that all in a very short amount of time. So, Psalms 24. Um, The earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. He, who, he, he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him. You could say this is the generation, one translation is this is the place of those who seek him, who seek your face. That word face could be translated presence when we're seeking the presence of the Lord in our lives. I want to feel his presence I want to be in his presence. I want to have time just sitting in the glory of his presence. And that's so important as believers that you make time to sit in the presence of God. How do you do that? Well, we'll talk about that. But it starts by sitting. Getting still. Scripture, I think it's Psalms 110, I think. Be still and know that I am God. I don't think you can know God without learning to be still. I don't think you can. It's impossible. You have to be willing to get still and just to sit in quietness before the Lord. And just to meditate. We this ties into Psalms 27. You know, this one thing I have sought. One thing have I asked for, this shall I seek. And it talks about dwelling in the temple of the Lord, that I may meditate on your beauty. And then a few verses down it says, and the Lord, uh, I'm paraphrasing, the Lord says, seek my face. And I said, and my soul said, yes, I will seek your face or seek your presence. God is calling for us to seek his presence, to be presence, treasure hunters, present hunters, if you will to seek and desire his presence above all else. And if you've actually experienced it, you will get addicted to it. It's the, the most powerful drug there is. There is no drug like the drug of the presence of God. All of the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? That means in his presence, all those things that, are, that lift themselves up in our lives, worry, fear, insecurity, Depression, hopelessness, shame, desires for other things, all those mountains, those exalted places melt in the presence of the Lord. Almost almost everything in our life can be dealt with just by being in the presence of the Lord. Almost. So, so it goes, who seeks your face? Even Jacob. And then here's the part I want to get into, verse seven. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient or everlasting doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king, that's that's everlasting doors in the Hebrew, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of Glory. There's a posture. You know how I was talking? It's kind of cool how this is all starting to come out. You know how I was talking about how man has authority in the earth? And God needs men to see his will get released. We are the gates of God. I mean, what does that make sense? Lift up your heads, oh you gates. What are you talking about? How's a gate going to lift up its head? You're the gate. What is a gate? A gate is something that allows entrance or denies entrance. It allows something to come in and go out, or it allows nothing to come in and go out if it's shut. We are the gate. Jesus talked about, you know, when, when Jacob in Genesis, when he, he was at the... Um, I want to say it was, uh, I ain't going to say, I don't know for sure. He was at some place. An angel visited him in the middle of the night, and he saw this ladder that was going from the earth to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You remember that? And then when Jesus, in John chapter 2, when Nathanael came to him, Nathanael got amazed because Jesus gave him a word of knowledge and said, I saw you underneath the fig tree before Philip called you. And he's like, oh, son of God. He's like, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? He's like, you're gonna see greater things than that. You're gonna see the angels ascending and descending on the son of man. What is that that talking about? Jesus as a man had authority on the earth. Jesus as God had authority in heaven. Jesus was the first gate He released, he was the mediator between heaven and earth. Jesus brought heaven to earth. The angels could ascend and descend upon the Son of Man because Jesus made a legal transaction that allowed for heaven to now come and be fully released on the earth because a man was fully submitted to heaven, to the Father, And because of his submission to the Father, heaven's will was now perfectly released in the earth. And there was healing and miracles and the raising of the dead, the casting out of devils. Heaven came in, evaded earth, and the world has never been the same since because of one man, the perfect one, the holy one, the Lamb of God. Now here's the wonderful thing. Jesus said, I'm going away. And he says, the works I do, ye shall do, and even greater work shall you do, because I go to the Father. And he said, even as I was sent, so I send you. So you got to remember that. Jesus said that just as he was sent, so he now is sending us. Okay? Jesus was the gate that released heaven into earth. We're being sent to be a gate that releases heaven into the earth. Now, if you remember... In Revelations, in the book of Revelation, um, people get offended when I put that S on there, so I'm trying to stop it. I'm like, come on, people. But you know a country boy can't do no better. All right, so Revelations 4. This is in in verse 1. It says, after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. It says he looked, and he saw a door standing in heaven. Which way do you think his head was positioned? Up. Up. If you're looking to a door in heaven, doesn't that sound familiar? Didn't we just read something about lift up your head, all ye gates, that the King of glory can come in? See, John is having an encounter, and he began to look, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, and that's the voice of Jesus, we know that from reading in, in, uh, in Revelations 1 and 2, uh, And so the first voice, which I heard, which was Jesus' voice, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Come up here, and I will show you what needs to come. You hear that? I'll show you what needs to take place. And so, Scripture says in verse two, "Immediately I was in the Spirit." How many know that Jesus said? I'm throwing a bunch of verses, and I'm jumping around. I know, and if you don't have an a, a, a overview of the Bible, it's probably hard to follow me a little bit, and I apologize. Ask me questions afterwards, and I'll point you in the right places. But if you have enough of an overview, you know where I'm where I'm going. The um. He's he's saying, you know, in John chapter 4, Jesus said, the Father is looking for worshipers. He's seeking it out, who will worship in spirit and in truth. We worship in the spirit. When we're in the spirit, that's how flesh can't give God glory. The spirit is what he's longing for. That human vessels full of his spirit would begin to Release worship to him okay so John immediately in the he looks up and he's in the spirit let me tell you something you want to get in the spirit quick start looking up start looking up stop looking down look at all this stuff going on down here oh you're earthbound look up we are so Jekyll and Hyde, we are, I am too. I'm I'm confessing, I am too, I want to stop being. We get so focused sometimes on right here. What what did the prophet tell his servant? He's looking and he's seeing an army surrounding him. He said, Father, open, Lord, open his eyes so that he could see. And all of a sudden he saw angels all around them. His eyes were taken off of this, onto this, and whoa, he wasn't worried anymore. Sorry, I just jumped again on some of y'all. I'm sorry. Uh, We've got to stop looking and drawing our data to process life with based on what we see going on around us. We've got to look up because when we look up, we're going to be in the spirit. And things look different in the spirit. How do you know that? when you get I, mean, I can feel it right now I mean I'm getting I'm preaching myself into some joy <laughs> and it feels good. <laughs> I'm feeling a high off the Holy Spirit and it is awesome and I you can do that. It's legal. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> Sometimes we need to preach ourselves into, in, into some joy. Sometimes we're looking down here, and we get bound up, and we're all depressed, and we just need to look up and get caught up in the Spirit, because you know what's going to happen when you get caught up in the Spirit? Let me read it. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. (laughs) When you get caught up in the Spirit, the only focus you're going to see is a king that reigns. He's king over financial problems. He's king over depression. He's king over sickness. He's king over loss. He's the king of glory. And when you look up old gates and you see the king of glory, now he can come on in through your gate. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. When we begin to look up and behold the king sitting on his throne, all of a sudden, oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you. You are so amazing. I, when you get in the spirit, your eyes are going to open up, and you're going to see him as he is, and you're probably going to fall on your knees, or something's going to go on, and you're going to get overwhelmed by the glory of who he is, and now that glory has come through your gate, and now everything is different. Everything. Because I'm not seeing anymore sickness. I'm seeing the king, the healer. I see the healer. See, most of us, we spend our time looking at a problem and we stay consumed with the problem and the problem rules and it is the reason why there's no change because we didn't look up. We have got to see him as he is and when we see him, we will be like him according to 1 John chapter 3. When we see him, we are transformed into that same image. When we are beholding the Lord in the spirit. The spirit comes, then the glory of who he is gets released through us, and now the whole thing, the whole dynamic, everything's changed. Everything. It is about what we are beholding. And we can't behold anything different if we don't learn to look up. We've got to learn to look up. I have got to learn to look up. You know, lately I've been looking down. I got some I got some issues going on. I don't talk about them a ton. I mean, I, I don't mind telling any of my junk. I don't. I don't I, I am an open book for the most part. You're gonna get the good, bad, and the ugly from me. Sometimes I probably say more than I should. But I would rather be a transparent transparent person than to err on the side of not letting people see my weakness because I got a lot of weakness. And I think that's true for all of us. And we put preachers on pedestals sometimes, and we forget they're just people. They're just people that happen to step up to a pulpit, and the Spirit of God comes to speak through them because he wants to touch y'all. And then people think it's the per- No, it's not the person. It's the anointing that teaches. It doesn't matter who's standing here. It just needs to be somebody that God sent, and the presence of God's going to come through them, and they could be having all kinds of junk in their life. I've seen some of the most incredible power get released through people who've got so many issues. God uses donkeys. He still rides donkeys. Y'all should all feel encouraged now. (laughs) We are just a bunch of donkeys, but I've been going through some stuff. I've had things that look like God is not answering his word. And I've started looking at the waves and the wind. Just like Peter, he comes out on the water. He he says, Jesus Jesus comes to Peter. They're all in the boat. There's a storm going on. Jesus is walking on water. He comes up to the boat, and Peter says, if that's really you, Lord, tell me to come to you. What was he going to say? Well, it's me, Peter, but don't come. He didn't say that. He said, come. Peter steps out of the boat, and now the water... Was as firm as ground for as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But we know the story. Peter began to get distracted, and his eyes got off of Jesus, onto the wind, the waves, the storm, and his scripture is very clear about it. When he saw the winds and the waves, he doubted and began to sink, and he cried out to Jesus, and Jesus had to pick him up because he sank in the water and walked him back to the boat he said, why did you doubt? You know why he doubted? The same reason we all doubt. Our head wasn't lifted up. We were walking around like this. Woe is me. God don't love me. I got trouble. I got things going on and I don't know what to do and God ain't helping me. Man, why ain't you coming through, God? I hate that crap. I know I'm guilty of it, but man, what a, that's self-pity. That's so horrible. He said he would never leave us and never forsake us. Did he mean it or not? If he meant it, then what that means is what you're going through has a purpose in your life. And so start trying to see what's the purpose of this. What is God trying to use this to cause Christ to be formed in me? How can I use this like the eagle that flies into the storm at right angle, and when it hits those winds, it just gets elevated even higher? Only bird to do that. We're called to soar like eagles. We have got to learn how to embrace our trials and begin to hit those things with an attitude the right angle to where those trials launch us into a higher place. If you're in a place that nobody can help you but God, praise God, you're about to see a miracle. Everybody wants a miracle. Nobody wants to need one. We have got to begin to look up. Now, when we begin to get our eyes on Jesus, it releases something out of us where we can now bring heaven to earth. And Bill Johnson brought something up that I just amazing. In Isaiah 60, which I've read the scripture, I've even used it to help me interpret some dreams I've had, but i never put it together like he did um, in, in what I'm about to share with you. But in Isaiah 60:18, let me turn there. Um, Isaiah. I love Isaiah. That's a great great uh book. Credible promises and prophecies about the Lord. Joel's probably thinking it's not Isaiah. Was it Isaiah? <laughs> Is that right? Isaiah. Isaiah. Uh sixty verse eighteen. It says, um Um violence will not be heard again in your land nor devastation or destruction within your borders but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise i right, remember we're talking about gates this morning i'm going to tell you something when we started praising the lord friday night it brought a revelation it brought a glory in the lord showed up and i, I every watch night i've ever done i think I, I'm not just talking about this this past little time that we've started doing it. I'm talking about years ago, we used to do them twice a month from 11 to 6, all-nighters. And I would come home every day full of revelation that I didn't see the, the, before I went. We lift your head up, you begin to see things. You get caught up in the Spirit. And um, there was so much that came forward for me, that I'm still chewing on, but... Um, in Isaiah sixty eighteen, he's saying that your walls are salvation, but your gates are praise. The weirdest thing: when I opened my Bible this morning, I was on Second Chronicles chapter thirty one, and in the second verse, Hezekiah is making reforms in 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 Judah. And he's cleaning out the temple, getting rid of idols. Cracks, you know, He's, he's, he's doing a, a makeover on Israel. He's getting them right with God. He's throwing away the idols and everything. And it says that he appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites by their divisions, each according to their service, both the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings and for peace offerings to, minister to to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. When Hezekiah was making this reform, he set up worshipers to worship in the gates. I thought that's crazy. And if gates, according to Isaiah 60, is praise, let's look over at Revelation. I know we're jumping, but the thing is, is that it's best to let Bible interpret Bible because it'll never, your interpretation can't be wrong. If the Bible's interpreting Bible... Uh, in Revelations 21, 21, or actually in 21, verse 10, he starts talking about the new Jerusalem. And you know what? The new Jerusalem is the bride. We're told that in verse 9. He said, come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And this bride, we see it, and in in, in John was carried, he was carried away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy Jerusalem, Coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of a crystal clear jasper. And then he starts to describe the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is us. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride. And where does the bride come from? Where does the bride come from? From heaven, come on, from heaven. It's coming down from heaven. We have got to go up to lift our heads up, to get caught up in the spirit, to see the Lord on his throne and be transformed by that glory. And then in that glory of being transformed by beholding him, as we behold him, we are transformed into his image. Now we're ready to come down. God's, we're coming down. The glory with all the, it talks about the glory and the brilliance on it. That's what happens when we get caught up in him. The glory of God begins to get on us and we begin to come down and we begin to release something to the earth that was heavenly, that was from heaven. Well, you come down to verse 21 and it's still talking about this this the New Jerusalem, which is a square. And it's got 12 gates on it. Remember, gates is praise. And in verse 21, it said, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Each gate was a pearl. Now, I'm, I'm, I don't think I've seen this before. I got this from a Bill Johnson sermon. I'm just a, for all, you know, um but what, but it but it so impacted me because the Lord was speaking this Friday night, I wake up Saturday morning, the lord 's still speaking to me this i 'm writing it down, and then my sister sends me this message from Bill Johnson, and he 's talking about the gates, and I thought, of course he is, I mean, it was just like it, it, the Lord is talking about the gates, but this but Bill brought this out, and this is amazing, and I know it 's the truth. What is a pearl? How does a pearl form? Irritation. Pressure. Right? The praise that is produced through irritation, or should I say the praise that is given through irritation, that is the praise that means the most to God. And there are times that When we're going through these difficulties, we're going through things, but we stop to say, I don't understand. I may not know what's going on, but I trust my Father. And Lord, I worship you right now. I'll never get this chance again to worship you the way I have right now. Whatever I'm going through now, I won't have to go through it in heaven. This is my only shot to worship you and praise your name in the middle of misunderstanding or or no understanding or to worship you at loss, to worship you when things are painful, you know what you're doing? You're producing a pearl. That's, 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 That's the pearl. That's the gate of God's kingdom. It's the gate. And when we learn to worship in the midst of our difficulties and all the things we're going through, we're actually... We're producing something so beautiful and so wonderful to the Father, but at the same time, you can't outgive God. It's going to produce something in your life, too. And so, I want to encourage us because I think God's encouraging us. He was encouraging me. Thanksgiving, praise, worship. That's not just what goes on up here, by the way. It's when you're at a loss for what's going on and you're not in church too. You're by yourself maybe and you just have to stop and say, I'm hurting. And you say, Lord, I'm so hurting, but, but, but what has that got to do with you? You're worthy. You know, when, when the fall happened, when Adam and Eve sinned and they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became self-focused and that's when everything bad entered in And we've been selfish creatures ever since. We're born into selfishness. And self-focus is really the, the root of every problem humanity has. And you know what worship does? It gets your eyes off of your belly button and on to someone who's worthy. And worship in the midst of your difficulty is actually your deliverance from self. Ever since the fall, we have been in bondage to self. Selfishness, self. But at the moment you can learn to worship God even in your difficulties, you're no longer, you're realizing life ain't about me. It's about Him. He's worthy of it all. was well, Margaret saying? You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. When we can learn to lift our voice and sing and worship him and praise his name in the midst of our trials, we are being delivered from self. We are lifting our heads up and we're tapping into the glory that God can now release through us, not only for us and not only for our circumstances, but also to change the world around us. Does that make
2: sense? Yeah. Oh, y'all are in trouble. He's got a Bible and a journal. (laughs) <laughs> no, this is so good, y'all. I was um, after the God not, the God Watch night, the twenty seventh. I was reading Psalm twenty seven. I encourage you all to do that. Read the psalm that corresponds with your day. Anyway, when Travis was getting there, all getting juiced up, getting excited, something was getting excited inside of me. And I went back and I was reading in my journal. And I want you all to turn to Psalm twenty seven, verses four, five, and six. There was something. That was completely revelatory that I saw that I had never seen before. I journaled this yesterday, though, specifically looking at the part of uh, Psalm 27 where it says where David offers sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I I like to think about what shouts of joy seems like then. And why we don't necessarily see a whole lot of shouts of joy happening in the church today. Shouts of joy and singing praises. And I wrote this in my journal. What is holding that? What is holding back? What is holding the church of the Lord back from these shouts of joy? And I, pray, I wrote in my journal, Lord, come in such a way that shouts of joy cannot be contained. Come in such a way that we cannot restrict What we have to be so joyful about may joyful shouting and praise be restored to your children that you have redeemed. So the Lord answered my question today when I read when I was reading that. What was it? What what's holding it back? This is so cool. I'm getting a little. I don't know if it's coffee or Holy Spirit or both, but I'm getting a little jittery. (laughs) Let's read this real quick. This is very familiar. But when we get to verse six, you're going to be like, oh, wow. That's it. Here it is. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple, for in the day of trouble, it's interesting, Travis said people want a miracle, but they don't want to need a miracle. David says, in the day of trouble, <laughs> there's, gonna be, there's, there's a day of trouble. He will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me on a rock. And look at verse 6. What happens in verse? What happens to David's head in verse 6? And now my head will be lifted up. Now where is his head lifted up? Above. Above my enemies. What does that tell you before his head was lifted up? Where was his head? with his enemies or below, his head was completely consumed with the enemies. Are you seeing that? We get, and, and then I'm writing in my journal, why isn't there shouting? Because the church, the bride's head is down with the enemies. But as soon as the Lord lifted his head, what does it say? It's above my enemies. And then what is the very next response that takes place? I offer sacrifices of shouts and joy. Why are there no shouts and joy? Because our head is in the wrong place. We did not allow the Lord to lift up our heads. And I will offer in his his sacrifices with joy, with shouts of joy. And then what does it say? I will sing, yes. I will sing praises. I will become that gate. There's no way that we can be the gate to be the people of shouts of joy if our head is down here with our enemies, dug in the news, dug in our circumstances, dug in all these other things. But when we get it, when we allow him to, I had to see the father just putting his hand under your chin. Come here. Look at my face. Look at me. Let me get your eyes above your battle and onto me. You cannot, you cannot restrain or contain the shouts of joy. The reason why there has been resistance is because our heads have been in the wrong place. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> That's good. good. We should practice that. <laughs>